Genesis, of course, the first book in the Bible, and we see in the first three or four chapters of Genesis, in the first, second chapter, we see all of creation for six days. On the seventh day, we see God creating the crown of his creation, say us, that's me, the crown of, of God's creation. Uh, before he did that, though, he, he, he created uh, the earth and the waters and the skies and the animals and all those things. And it says that God put in, and you don't have to turn there now, I'm just going to go over it quickly with you. It says that in the, in the Garden of Eden where he put man, he also, uh, in the middle of that garden, he put two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's verse 9 of chapter 2. He put the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? And then in verse 15, he took man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded man. This was before Eve was created. Man, not Eve, Adam, okay? Eve had not been created. He commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die, okay? Then in verse 18, God said, it is not good man should be alone, and he creates the first lady, Eve, okay? And, and we know all about that. Now, here we go, chapter 3. I'm going to read what I read last week. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Now, the serpent was the most crafty or more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, right off the bat, he's misquoting the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, that you must not touch it or you will die. Where did she get you will not touch it? I don't know. Maybe Adam misquoted it. Maybe uh, I don't understand, but that was not what God said. So they're getting everything messed up. Of course, the devil has manifested in the serpent, and the serpent comes back and takes advantage of that. And says, you will not surely die, he says to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay? When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay? Now, we drop down to verse 14 course they sinned now the first thing that happened when they sinned in verse 7 was the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves and made coverings for themselves God comes into the garden and says hey where are y'all all of a sudden they realize that they're naked and something happens in their relationship with God verse 14 so the Lord God said to the serpent because you have done this you are cursed above all livestock all of the wild animals and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers of course a shadow and type of Jesus all right now and it says and and woman he said you've done this I'll greatly increase your pains and childbearing with, with pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it in all the days of your life. Now, what enters here is a curse and also enters death and enters pain and all of these things that we would not have experienced before that would be handed down to their children. This is what we talked about last week. It's called your sin 
nature that you've inherited. Now, Genesis chapter 4, they have two kids, Cain and Abel, two sons. And sure enough, this thing is handed down to Cain and Abel. Now, stay with me. I'm just building a base here to start on today's message. Sure enough, it's handed down to them. Now, Adam and Eve, in their first, in their first moral, ethical choice, in, their, in the first time that they had to, to, to choose right from wrong, they chose wrong, okay? They have two sons. The first time they have to choose, they've inherited this sin nature. And sure enough, uh, they go to offer, and Cain and Abel bring their offerings, and Abel brings uh, uh, the fatty portions of his firstborn, of his, of his uh, sheep. And Cain brings, it says, some of the offerings of grain and, and, and fruit and stuff because he was a, more of a farmer than, a, than, than, than the other guy. And, and, and God looked kindly upon Abel's offering but did not look kindly because Cain was doing what he knew he shouldn't do. And God looks at him and says, why are you so downcast, Cain? He said, don't be downcast. He said, if you do what is right, he said, won't it go well for you? And won't I look pleasingly upon your, your offering? And he said, but if you do, it's wrong. And I listen. He said, if you do, it's wrong. God told him, sin will be crouching at the door waiting to pounce on you. That's, that's a quote from the book. Of, that's the way I worded, but it's very close to that. All right? Sin will be waiting, crouched, waiting to jump on you. Well, Cain is still infuriated, and Cain goes out into the field, and he does what with his brother? He kills him. He murders him. So we have, in the first handing down of this sin nature, we have the first murder. Okay? Now, we go on from there into the New Testament, and I shared with you last week. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6, part of the Roman road, 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, that's the good news. So, but for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin are still death, just like in the Old Testament. Now, I picked those two scriptures so that you could see that Paul understood this principle even in the New Testament. It didn't go away. It, it stayed around all the time with him. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 if you have your Bible uh, with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. I want you to, to understand this. Listen to this. This is Paul speaking. He says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. Now, turn with me to Romans 5.12. Go back. Romans 5.12. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen in a second, okay? Romans 5.12. Paul, again, speaking to the church in Rome. And you know, there's two words that, I, that I, I teach y'all all the time to look for in the Bible. One of them is but. So like, but God, if you have something you see, but you're fixing to hear something from God. And another one is therefore. Paul speaks in chapter 5 
of Romans about the redemptive work and uh, about the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ justifying us uh, through his blood, and then we are redeemed into, into a, a reconciliation before God through the blood. And then in verse 12, he says, therefore, because of that, therefore, because of the blood, because of the redemption, because of these things that we have in the blood of Jesus Christ, Paul says, just as sin entered the world through one man. Now, who's he talking about? Adam. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through that sin, okay, original sin, which was really not original because the devil had already fallen out of heaven before any original sin with man. So really the first sinner was the rebellious devil, Beelzebub, who was a worshiper, heading it up, and one-third of the angels fell with him. So it was really original only to man then, but the, the devil had already rebelled against God. So, but just as death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. We just read that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. Before you had the Ten Commandments, before you had the Pentateuch in the Bible, before any of that, sin was already in the world. Okay? But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a commandment, as did Adam, who was a pattern of one to come. Okay, you got the first Adam, who's Adam and Eve, and then you got the second Adam, who is who? Christ. Okay, through one man, sin came in through one act of sin, and death came in through that one act of sin. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, righteousness came in through his death on the cross. Okay? Now, here's your pattern. So we have this sin thing going on. There's a really neat book that I, that I, I forgot on my desk at home. Uh, it's by a man named Rick Joyner. And, and the title of it is called, There Were Two Trees in the Garden. Some of you may have read the book or may have it. It's a, it's a wonderful book. And, and from the beginning of that book, I, the principles of that book, I draw actually the first three points of, of, of this message. And in that book, he brings a wonderful revelation. And listen to it very, very carefully. All right? He points out that you had two trees in the garden. You had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We just read it, correct? And then you had the tree of life. And that these two trees are representative or types and shadows of two family lineages or two types of, of life that you can lead, two paths that you can go down. The tree of life, of course, represents Jesus Christ. For I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the law. Okay? Now... I'm going to present to you this, this, uh, uh, this theory that he brings forth in, in the book, and I love it. I, I love the theory here. And, and it's not a theory. It's a fact that, that you question why did God put those two trees in the garden, and why did he say to Adam, and eat, to Adam you, you cannot eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, why can you not? Was it just to be cruel? Was it just like if you wanted to test them or something like that? No, that's, that's not it at all. He told Adam not to eat from that tree because he already knew Satan had already fallen. And he knew the rebelliousness that was in Satan. He knew that sin already existed because of Satan. All right? 
And he knew that, now listen carefully, that the power that Satan holds is rooted in the fruit of that tree. Okay? Satan wasn't trying just to get him to disobey because disobedience would bring death. He wasn't trying to get him to prove a point to God that he could control them. He was trying to get them to eat of that fruit because he knew that if they ate of that fruit, that they would surely die, that it would bring death. Because in the law, in the knowledge of good and evil, which is a wonderful thing, it's a standard that you go by. God's law and God's word is a wonderful thing. Okay, But can any of us keep that law? No, we cannot. I've got news for you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we went over it last week. And let me, let me, let me just add a little, a little deal on the end of that. And you will sin again. Okay, We read that in 1 John 1, 1 5 through 9 last week. Okay, You will sin again. And if you're saying, oh, I'll never sin again, then you're calling God a liar. Okay, And you will sin again. So... Rick Joyner says this. He said, you've got these two trees that every day of our life we are faced with eating fruit from one of those two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. One brings life, one brings death with it. Okay? Now keep that in mind as we continue in, in this message. All right? And we're challenged with that every day of our lives. All right? We saw last week that Satan lied and He deceived Adam and Eve, and they entered into pride and rebellion, away from God and away from his word, and they passed this sin nature down to their children and ultimately all the way down to us, all right? And like we said, if you notice, the first sin that was inherited was murder, okay? Because scripture says that the devil comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy, right? But I have come life and life more abundant, that you may have life and life more abundantly, Jesus said. So you got killing and death, you got life, same pattern going on here, okay? Now, what better way? I'm going to throw a little side note in here. What better way for the devil to have victory than to have it passed down from family to family curses and lineages that are passed down where people get in this rut, in this cursed rut? That is hand down as statistics show it, whether it's divorce, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or whatever it is. That it's and 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 when 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 uh, Christine, when Russell and Christine were here a few weeks ago, they pointed it out too. That it's it's crazy what the stats show that people have been incarcerated, that their kids, it's hard to break that curse off of those kids. They end up incarcerated. Also, So what better way than to hand down what's called a generational curse? And that's what has happened. That's what the devil has managed to do in this quote-unquote sin area. And, 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 and I made a little note here. What a shame so many times we don't even realize it, that we've inherited this. Do you know that? You look yourself in the mirror. If you're brave enough, ask someone. Ask your spouse or ask a relative or ask me and say, now tell me the truth, Pastor, and I'll, and I'll tell you the truth. And, and when you look and you say, my, I didn't even realize that I had inherited that thing. I didn't realize that that was on me and I didn't have to have it on me. It didn't have to be there. Do you know that Jesus spent almost two-thirds of his entire ministry casting stuff out of people? I'm not talking counseling. I'm talking casting it out. This message isn't on deliverance. I'm chasing a rabbit here. But he cast it out of them. He said, you evil, foul spirit, Out out of them, okay? And how many of you know, and, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm going to hush up because I'm going into where I want to go next. 
but, but we Christians can walk around with some demons in us too. Let me tell you, all right, enough of that. Let's talk about sin again. All right, so we're going to look at three things today, and then I'm going to talk to you about the reality of what sin really does, about the result of sin in your life. Now, keep in mind that when I talk about sin, like sin does this, I'm really talking about Satan, the devil, and his sin influence in your life. Let me say it again. When when I say sin does this, sin does this, I mean Satan and his sin influence in your life. Everybody with me? Okay, we're going to go over three things. And the first thing I want to look at is what sin tries to do. What is it really trying to do in, in conjunction with what I just said from Rick Joyner's book? Well, first of all, sin is trying to get you to focus on the law of the Lord instead of the Lord of the law. Now, I'm, I'm laying some theology for you before I get to the practical parts of sin. I know y'all can't wait for me to get to the real practical parts of our sin. But I'm laying some theology. I'm laying some groundwork here. Sin wants to try to get us to focus on the law, the law of the Lord, instead of the Lord of the law. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, Paul writes in that letter, he tells him, he says, listen, and, 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 and this he's just talking to him. He's saying, I don't have to write a, a letter of recommendation to you, church. He said, I don't have to write a letter of recommendation for you to go when you go places or whatever. He says, because you disciples are living letters. You're living letters, not written on, on tablets of stone, but tablets of human hearts. And he goes on and he says, he says that, that we're not competent in ourselves, but only in God. And he says that we are ministers of a new covenant. Now listen to this, quote, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Listen to what Paul says, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Capital S, he says there, the Holy Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. Now look at verse 7. He says, now if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in stones, in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? He's saying that when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he was up in the presence of the Lord, and if you read that, that, that passage in the Bible of that, that the glory, the Shekinah glory of the Lord came upon Moses and he was so bright, he had to cover himself. No one could behold him because of that, couldn't look at him. And he came back with the Ten Commandments on the tablets, okay? And if that ministry of what's on those tablets brings death, well, why does it bring death? It brings death because you're going to look at the tablets and look at the letters instead of the person who wrote the letters, I'm going to go over that in a second. And he said, if that ministry brings death, how much more life will come from the spirit of him who wrote that on the tablets? Are you with me? And that's what Paul is saying right here. Okay? And the devil himself wants us to focus on the law of the Lord more than the Lord of the law. Okay? Now, the power of sin is in the law because the law is where we get our knowledge of good and evil. Now listen carefully. The knowledge of good and evil kills and destroys because it distracts us from the one, 
Jesus Christ, God himself, who is the source of life in that tree of life. Jesus Christ. For I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? Now listen carefully, church. Listen. If Satan can get you focused, all your attention, all your effort, grinding your teeth, and all of your effort and energy on what's good and evil, on a set of regulations, on the letter of the law, instead of a relationship with the Lord Jesus himself, the person of Jesus Christ, you will eventually lose your battle. Now, you have victory for a short time. You can join every self-help program there is and get every self-help book there is, and you can go to this and go to that and feel good and dance around and get tingly all over and everything else. But until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the person, God himself, you will not have full deliverance and victory in your life. You will fight it in your discipline. You will grind your teeth until you're down to the gums. You will wear your muscles out until you're down to the bone. And you'll have victory for some time. But even the most disciplined disciple will end up losing in the end unless it is embedded, unless he is entrenched in a relationship with life itself. And that comes with Jesus Christ. It doesn't come by following regulations. You get the revelation and then you want to follow the regulations. Then you have changed from the inside out. And the old ugly marshal who is fussing and fighting and doing those things that I used to do is no longer the same man, Scripture says. And old things have passed away and all things are new in Christ Jesus. And what happens is that you have victory through the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And you do want to follow the commandments. You do want to follow the law. And the law does not bring death at that point. It brings life, which is intended to bring. Because you are worshiping the Lord of the law, not the law of the Lord. This isn't rocket science. Are you all with me? Or you got it so far. You got it so far. Shake your head. Do something. Throw something. Whatever. Amen, boo-hoo, something. Tell, tell me something here, okay? All right. I'm going somewhere with this. Hold on. I'm not giving you a license to sin. No, no, no. I'm saying worship and focus more on the Lord of the law than the law, than the law of the Lord, okay? And Satan wants you to do just the opposite, okay? If you fall in love with him who gives life, Jesus, then you start to change inwardly. Your nature changes. Your desire changes, okay? Now, please hear me. Please hear me. You see this? I got two of them up here. I don't know how many Bibles I have. You come to my house, you'll probably fall asleep before you count them all. I love the Word of God. I'm a student of the Word of God. I study it every day. You can ask June. I love the Word of God. It is my sword. It is, I, I, I just, I, but let me tell you something. This is written words on pages in a book. It's called Logos, the written word, Logos, L-O-G-O-S. It is the Logos, the written word. And unless this word becomes the rhema, R-H-E-M-A, rhema, and that means living, unless it becomes the living word, then you're in trouble because what you're going to do is you're going to end up with a ton of knowledge of the word of God and you will enter into pride and you will enter into legalism and you will enter into being you know they say too much word puffs up okay it puffs you up you enter into pride now there's a balance in this you can go too much into spirit and that blows up they say 
So you can puff up or blow up whichever one you want. And you see people who never, they come up and they preach and we go places and that's what I judge by. Is the word of God in there when someone is preaching? We go places, they never open up the Bible. Okay? But then we have some places you go and, and, and they're all spirit. They're all dancing, running around. They got balloons and they got stuff and they're all floating three feet high. And that's wonderful. We love it too. We floated many times with them. Okay? Have you been there? It's wonderful. Okay? It's great. You feel good. But the anchor is in the word of God. So you have, you have a balance in this thing. You have something that you need to go for. Now, church, listen. Here's your nugget for the day. Here's where that balance, here's where the strength, here's where the power is. Is when you shoot for the centrality of Jesus Christ. You shoot for the centrality, for the relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you read the word, when you read God's holy scripture, his law, when you read it, you always read it. Come on, give me a nugget now. Listen carefully. You always read it asking God to reveal himself. Come on, are you all following me? God, please. I do that every day. Lord, please reveal yourself in your word. Then something special happens, and then it becomes rhema, and it starts jumping off of the page. And then all of a sudden, it starts like that little two-edged sword. It comes out and starts doing surgery on you, and it starts saying, whoa, 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 that was you. You need to repent about that. Oh, you read, and you go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, Lord, jump on June. She needs to take care of that. And then, and then you read, and the Lord God came to man and said, do not eat from I go, oh, oh, he spoke it to me first, not her. You, you see what I'm saying? The word gets real when you shoot for the centrality of Jesus Christ in the Bible and in your life. Now, I have seen people, and this is all, and and I put a little quote there, knowing the book of the Lord is not our goal, but knowing the Lord of the book. Now, I have seen people, church, listen, dear ones, dear ones, listen to me. Through the years, and some of you are going to go, ooh, yeah. I've seen so many dear, beloved friends who get caught up in worshiping the law instead of the lawgiver, the word of the Lord instead of the Lord of the word. And they end up in a very prideful, very dangerous place. And before you know it, you listen to them, and it doesn't take 10 seconds to realize that they really believe that they know more than anyone walking the face of the earth. It's pride. It turns into legalism and a religious spirit. And it stinks. And God can't use it. And he can't use that person. June and I were listening to a wonderful preacher. His name's Robert Morris. I used some of his stuff when I was preaching on on stewardship. And we were listening to him, and he said him and his wife met with a couple. They were having serious problems, and they they met with him. And and he said he, he didn't say much at all during the session. And they were leaving, and his wife turned to him and said, Robert, you, you didn't say anything to that man. Why, why didn't you tell him anything? And when he said this, it jumped out the TV on me. 
And he, he said, I looked at her and said, because he thinks he knows more than me. Have you ever met with somebody, whether it's your kids or someone in church or whatever? And when they think they know more than you right off the bat, I mean, why, why say anything? You know? Why, why? It, it doesn't make any sense. Well, people who, who are so puffed up with the knowledge, okay, and I am a student of the word, and hope to continue to my last breath learning and want you to learn. We're going to have a Bible college here. But knowledge is not the end. It's the person of the knowledge that we're wanting to get to. Okay? And you've got to be so careful with that. You've got to be real, real, real careful with that. Secondly, sin, Satan and his sinful influence, wants to get you and me to focus on ourselves. Say it with me. On myself. For better or worse, and both lead to death. Let me explain that, for better or worse. There's just a little catchy thing the Holy Spirit gave me. For better or worse, not, not like in a marriage. For better or worse. We just saw in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan comes and tempts them. Did God really say, you will have knowledge like God? He, he, see, he's, he, he's starting to... to, to her up. We read right before that, when I, the first thing I read was God placed in the, where in the garden? Where was it in the garden, these two trees? Come on. In the middle, in the center, in the center of the garden, it says in the NIV. NIV in, the, in the center of the garden, okay? Which is symbolic of self-centeredness in these two lineages here, Okay? What happened the first thing they noticed after they sinned? What did they notice? That they were naked. Okay? So all of a sudden their focus was not God-focused. It was self-focus. Right? So that childlike innocence was gone and all of a sudden they, and God says, Who told you you were naked? Well, we noticed it because we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it focused them on their nakedness. Now listen. Listen to this. this. This is a wonderful statement here. Please, if you take fast notes, take this down. After eating from that tree, the good and the evil that they now understood forced them to measure themselves by it. Let me say it again. After eating from that tree, the good and evil that they now understood forced them to measure themselves by it. And church, there's no easier way to keep us from the tree of life, Jesus Christ himself, than to get us to focus on ourselves all the time, which is the basic form of pride. Looking at yourself, it's the basis of pride, okay? Which leads, what does it say in Proverbs? Which leads to, Proverbs 16, 18, to destruction and a haughty spirit to a fall, right? So the knowledge of our own good and evil when we focus on it too much, and that's what Satan and his evil sin forces want to do, for us to focus on ourselves for better or for worse, can lead to self-righteousness on the good side and on the bad side will lead to 
destruction and death. So both of them lead to death. When you focus on moi, let's, let's have a French lesson here. When you focus on moi, say it with me. If I focus on moi, you know what moi means? It means me in French. If I focus on moi, moi will let me down every time. Do you notice that? You will deceive yourself. You think you'll deceive yourself. The truth will come out, and then when you do, you will be the most miserable of all. Believe me. So when you begin to see yourself in these two ways, now listen carefully. One of two ways. Either someone who is beyond hope or salvation, or someone who really doesn't need salvation. And that is the fruit of inward self-centeredness focus. One of those two will come out every time. Either I'm too horrible, I'm too... I'm too no good, I'm too this, it'll never happen for me. I'm not even good enough to go to God or come to the altar for prayer or anything else. That'll be one side of it. The other side is, I don't really, I'm not that bad. I don't really need a Savior. And I shared with you last week, the basis of your Christianity is that you know and have a revelation that I need a Savior. Woe is me. I am, I am the worst of sinners, Paul said. And I need a cross and a Savior to save me, and you will avoid them both with either one of those camps. And then thirdly, to get us to focus on the letter of the law instead of the spirit. (coughs) Now, we went over some of that. (coughs) What God calls our sword, the devil tries to use as his sword to kill you. Have you noticed that? Oh, God didn't really say that. That's, June, that's not really what that means. And that's just what the devil did to Adam and Eve. He tries to use God's sword to kill us. He is the chief imitator. He can't create anything. He can't do anything. He's an amateur. He's a fraud. He is a fallen angel, a created being. He has nothing that he wants good for us to bring health or life or prosperity to us. And he tries to use the letter that points out our sin To keep us from the one who saves us from that sin. Did y'all get that? Let me say it again. He tries to use the letter, the word itself, that points out our sin to keep us from the only one who can save us from our sin, Jesus Christ. Okay? And if the Logos does not become Rhema, you'll fall prey to that every time. That's why it's so important to read the word and say, God, reveal yourself in this word, okay? And it's also, as as Brother Larry Gates taught me, it's also very, very important for you to ask the Holy Spirit to bear witness to everything in that word. See, that's how cults are started. People just take some man's word for what it means in here. And I tell this whole church, don't even take my word. Let me tell you something. You check everything that I say or anyone says that comes from this word. You check it by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> if you have, the, if the Holy Spirit will tell you, whoa, hold on, there's, there, there, there's something wrong there. You check it with your spirit. Was well, just com- good common sense. You know, it's, if I tell you, okay, we're going to all get, go get in a helicopter and fly up to heaven. I mean, that's just good common sense. God doesn't need a helicopter to take us to heaven, you know. And then check it with word, with the scripture itself. Cross-reference everything for two or three other scriptures, okay, in here. And, and, and you, you never go wrong with that, with those things, okay? So it's crucial to do that. People, 
and the bondage of legalism and all of that normally don't check themselves with those things. Always shoot for the centrality of Jesus Christ, okay? Have you ever noticed that people who just give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, have you noticed them, how they float around on a cloud? How long has it been since you've known people just got saved? Come on. You remember when people just got saved? You remember when you just got saved? We floated about eight feet off of the ground. Do you all remember that? Right? Okay. You were floating around. Every time a door opened anywhere, you were there. Correct? Every dog and pony show that came into the parish, we went. Because we were so hungry, we were floating. We were going all around. Well, that's what new converts do. Guess what older converts do? They sit in church like a bunch of rocks. They sit in their house like a bunch of stones. And they have all the knowledge of the word. They can quote 42,000 scriptures. They can go through and say, the word of God says this. And there's no spirit in it. There's no life in it. And they sit around and you go, my God, what happened to them? Is that us? June, we don't look like that. Please tell me. There's, there, there's, there's nothing there. All there is a, just, just a bunch of legalistic of uh, uh, hard, crusty people who just, you're not, you're doing wrong and I'm the only one doing right because I know more scripture than you. And it's disgusting. And I'm sure it breaks the heart of God, okay? And, and, and really what you need is you need both of each to have more of the other one, okay? You need some of these new Christians to just come in and just kind of, kind of just give some more of the spirit to these older ones and the older ones to give a little bit of balance to the newer ones, don't you? To kind of come in the middle, right? Now, here we go i got 12 minutes to tell you about the result of sin, the real title of the message. Now, we're going to get personal, okay? How many of you know I love you? Uh-oh, I heard uh-oh from the front. Okay, all right, we're going to get personal. The result of unchecked controlling sin in your life. Unchecked, that means sin that you can be aware of or not aware of, and it's been unchecked. There is no repentance, there's no confession, there's no repentance, and it is controlling you. All right? Do you know someone like that? Have you been there yourself or are you there now? Don't raise your hand. This one back, raise his hand. One very honest man, raise his hand in the back, okay? Now, let me tell you a story for time, sake of time, I'm just going to tell you the story. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. It's a story about King David. Y'all familiar with King David? King David became the ruler from the shepherd boy out in the field. Comes, uh, the prophet comes, Samuel comes and anoints him at his daddy's house. His daddy's name is Jesse. Anoints him with all. He becomes the king of Israel. In chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, the story says, the Bible says, that it was in the springtime in a time when kings go off to war. Normally, they, he should have been at war. Where was he? He was not at war. He sent Joab out, his head general, to defeat the enemy and to destroy them. And they did. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged this big city. It says, but listen to these words, but David remained in Jerusalem at a time of springtime when kings go out to war. For some reason, David is where he should not be. And it says that one evening, David gets out of bed and he's walking around on the roof. They had these, these like patios on the type of the roof, on, on top of their roofs. And he's up walking around the walls of the top of the roof of the palace. And he walks around and he looks down in the hills of Jerusalem, if you've ever been there. He looks down in one of these hills and he sees this beautiful young lady bathing. Okay? 
They didn't have, like us today, you know, closed doors in the bathroom and all that stuff. It was outside. She's outside bathing herself, and she's a beautiful young lady. And David looks down, and he inquires. He says, who is this girl? And, and they tell him, they say, well, this is, this is, uh, this is a, uh, uh, her name is Bathsheba, and her husband's name is Uriah, the Hittite. I was, I was trying to think of her daddy's name, Eliam, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of uh, the Hittite, uh, Uriah. He says, well, go get her. So this was the king of Israel. It wasn't like today. I mean, he, they go and they get her, and she comes to him, and they sleep together. And she gets pregnant. She sends word to him, and she says, I'm with child. Next thing he does, he calls Joab, he, his head general. He says, Joab, go, go get Uriah, her husband, and, and bring him to me. And he said, uh, just get him from the battle and bring him here. And he goes and he brings Uriah to King David. And, and in the NIV, it says that he even ate with him and, and sat at the table with him. So here he is. He's just slept with this man's wife, and he's staring him at the table. And he says, listen. He said, you've been out in the battle for some time. He said, go and rest. Go to your home, and I'm going to even send some food with you. And he sends food with him, home with him. Now, the man of principle that Uriah is, he goes at the gate, and he sleeps on a mat at the gate. And David says, why did you sleep at the gate? See, he wants him to go home to sleep with his wife so he can act like the baby is his instead of David's, covering up his sin. So he said, go, go sleep with you, you, at your house and, and, and wash your feet and bathe and, and, and you deserve it. He says, oh, no. He goes the second night. He does the same thing. Uriah says, far be it from me when my master Joab is sleeping in the open fields and the army and the ark of the covenant, the ark is out there and... Far be it from me to be relaxing in my home and he sleeps again on the mat. Well, David doesn't like that, so he calls Joab back and he says, Listen, Joab, he said, bring this man to the battlefront. And he said, he said in, the, in the heat of the battle, draw back your troops a little bit so that he can be killed. And Joab does this. Okay? David gets a message that Uriah has been killed. So you've got King David, a man after God's heart, who has committed adultery, who has lied, who has deceived, who has murdered. Now listen, the story goes on. God tells the prophet Nathan about this, and the prophet Nathan, how many of you want to be a prophet here? You better think again. The prophet Nathan has to go to the king of Israel, who has total and absolute power, and tell him this. And he goes to David and he says, David, King, King, I have something to tell you a story. He said there was a very rich man who had many cattle and sheep. And there was a very poor man who had one little ewe lamb who was like a child to him. And that lamb ate in, in the house and was like a pet and, and would sit on their lap as a child would. And they were very fond. And the rich man had company coming in from out of town. And he didn't take any of his sheep. He took that poor man's little child pet and took it and slaughtered it and ate it for that company that was coming in and King David said oh such a man should die for doing something like that and the prophet Nathan looked at him and he said you are that man you did it with Uriah and Bathsheba and he said she is now with child king and God is not going to kill you because of your sin but the baby will be sick 
and will die. And sure enough, that's what happened. And David mourned for seven days. The baby got sick and David mourned. And when the baby died, y'all probably familiar with the story. They were all, they, they, he, was, he was in ashes rolling on the ground for seven days and didn't eat. And then he, one day he saw them talking and he said, well, the baby has died. Evidently, they said, yes, king, he's died. He said, go bring me some clean clothes and we will now have a feast. And they said, why are you doing this for seven days? You know he said, because I was pleading with God and hoping that possibly he would change his mind and spare the baby. But since he hasn't, the baby will surely not come to me, but I will go to him. So let's feast. Now, I tell you that story for a reason. And listen carefully. I want to read to you Psalm 51. Right after the prophet Nathan came to David. David wrote this. Right after he came and said, you are that man. He wrote, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Hear, hear his passion here, guys. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I can't run from it, Lord. Have you been there, church? When that moral compass called your conscience is hurting you so bad, you can't run, you can't hide, you want to die yourself because you say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've done this. Against you, God, and only you have I sinned, David said, and done this evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful at the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in inner parts and teach me wisdom in inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness again, Lord. Let the bones you have crushed, please rejoice. He's crushed. He's weighted by his sin. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Oh, Lord, how many of you in here are aware that unchecked, unchecked, controlling sin brings horrible feelings of guilt and condemnation? Are you aware of that? Unconfessed, unrepented, unchecked, controlling sin brings feelings of guilt and condemnation in your life. You don't feel good. You don't walk around just smiling and hopping. You turn down invitations to go places. You don't feel right until you confess it, until you come to your senses, until you say against you and only you have I sinned, O Lord. Please forgive me. Restore the joy of your salvation unto me. Have you been there? I am the only one who's been there. Come on. Come on, interactive church. Have you been there? Thank you, sir. More than once in my life. Unchecked, controlling sin brings low self-worth and low esteem in your life. You feel and see yourself as the grungiest, cruddiest person on the face of the earth. Is this true or not? 
because it's controlling you. And the devil is killing you with the sword that he has stolen. And the knowledge of good and evil is killing you instead of releasing you because you haven't turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is unchecked and it's uncontrolling. Now stay with me. I'm going somewhere with this. I've got good news at the end. Thirdly, it brings collateral damage. Look at David's sin. Collateral damage. Y'all know what that is? A military term. When they drop a bomb, there's innocent people. They get killed too. I've got news for you, okay? Well, when you sin, do you think for one second that it just affects you? It affects your family. It affects your children. The next generation, it affects your neighbors. It affects your church. Everyone, there's collateral damage. And you see children walking around wounded and damaged and flawed and tattered because of the sin of their parents or someone else in their life. Collateral damage. It brings a hardened heart. If you don't check it, if you don't, con- if you don't confess it and repent and do as David did, if you don't have a Psalm 51 in your life, it will bring a hardened heart and eventually you become hard-hearted and you will become, as the devil, you will become hardened and you start judging other people and the whole time you're in sin. Have you all noticed that? Ooh, get critical, judgmental, and everything else, hard-hearted. It brings high interest payments. In Romans 6.19, jot that down and remember it. You can read it later yourself. In Romans 6.19, it talks about the increase of sin, the escalation of sin. You start paying interest payments. Sin does not just have the sin. It brings those consequences added. I call them interest payments at the end. Like when you make a loan and you got to pay more back than what you loan. Well, guess what? When you sin, you're going to pay back more than just what you sinned. you got interest on the other end of it. Have you been there? It brings spiritual fever in your life. Now, I call it spiritual fever because God showed me years ago that your conscience is your spiritual thermometer. And so uncontrolled sin, unchecked sin will bring spiritual fever where your conscience bothers you. Has anyone in here ever had a bad conscience? Does that mean all of you have or are you all all asleep? Tell me. Did that feel good? Come on, dear ones. Sometimes this is kind of like doing, like doing inner healing or something. I, I got to get down deep and kind of get you thinking here before we can get to the healing part. Did it feel good? Was it fun? Walking around. Just be thankful that you have a conscience and a conscience that bothers you. When your conscience bothers you, that means your spirit's still alive. You're in good shape. Thank God for that. Say, thank you, Lord. I'm awake. I'm not, I'm not dead inside. I've got something there that's bothering me. I can go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And he's going to tell you what to do. He'll say, he'll say, and it won't be something legalistic. It'll be something like, okay, you're forgiven. Now, now go make restitution. Go tell them. Ask them to forgive you. Right? Spiritual fever. It'll bring spiritual and physical darkness in your life spiritual and physical darkness in your life turn with me real quick to the book of john 
famous scripture, John 3.16. But we're going to read. Nobody ever reads past John 3.16. All they read is 16. Listen to this. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world but to save it. Whoever believes him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Listen to verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come. Light. Light has come into. Capital L, though. Light. Divinity. God has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who, who, who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly so that what he has done has been done through God. Okay? Now listen to me about this light thing. Have you all ever noticed that bars do not open up during the day most of the time? I remember in my most lost days in my 20s, we go to bars quite often, but I remember thinking... Why is it always so dark in these places? I mean, you drop something you couldn't find it. Not that you'd want to pick it up if you did find it on the, from the floor in a bar. But have you ever noticed? They're dark in there. It's a dark place. Dark places instead of light. Have you ever noticed that as long as you keep something hidden instead of bringing it into the light, that it will be heavy upon you? But the second that you bring it into the light and you confess it, there's a lightness and a brightness that comes upon you. Come on, church. It's amazing. And sin that's uncontrolled and unchecked will bring spiritual and physical darkness into your light. And then ultimately, it brings death. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin are death. Right? It'll bring death. Now, let me tell you something. It'll bring spiritual death, and it will, can, and will bring physical death in your life. It will bring death in your life. I'm telling you. Scripture says you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Now, okay, now y'all look at me, dear ones. Here's the good God news. I had some good God news for you last week. I got some good God news for you today. See, a preacher's not worth his salt, his weight in, in, in grain of salt if he doesn't present this, but then also say, hey, I've got the answer. I've got some good news for you. I've got some good news for you. I called it the good God news because God is good, right? Okay. Listen to me carefully. Last week, we saw that sin's presence is real because we are human, right? We're human. We inherit that sin nature. We're human. The only divine thing in us is the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So we're human. So you're going to sin. Everybody look at me. You're going to sin. I don't care. You look at me and say, well, he's not looking at me. We're all going to sin. Me too. All of us. You may sin against me. I may sin against you. You may be not involved people. It may be something. We're going to sin. That's because we're human. Now listen here. Here, here's, Here's getting good. Now listen carefully. Sin's power is broken because you're a believer. You see, that power 
is broken because you're a believer. For when you believe on Him, when you believe in the work of Calvary and on that cross, when you believe in that, part of that is that you have to say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I confess that sin, and you hung on a cross for that sin. Please forgive me, Lord, and come into my life. Because you're a believer, the power of that sin is broken, and it has no mastery over you anymore. So all of those seven or eight things that I just went over with you do not apply to you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you repent and ask forgiveness, you can't just say, oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. Or I'm a believer. It's got to go further than that. You've got to build that relationship with him. Thirdly, next week we're going to see this point for Easter. And next week will be a whole lighter message. Is sin's penalty is paid because God loves you so much.